This is a test. For the next 60 seconds, this station will conduct a test of the emergency broadcast system. This is only a test. The following program is intended for mature audiences. Oh, you can't be serious, man. You cannot be serious! That ball was on the line! Shot flew up! Welcome to This Week in Tennis. Welcome to This Week in Tennis, the tennis show, considered the most controversial tennis program anywhere. And leading off the pack, that was Kansas. Let's play the game tonight. Lots of emails from last week, and we'll get to those in a couple of weeks when Craig comes back. We have guests this week and next week. Next week, Dr. Ray Brown will be here. He has filed a formal complaint with the International Olympic Committee against the United States Tennis Association. That ought to be a very interesting program. And today's program will be very interesting. My guest, his name is Ricky Diamond, and he is from this amazing website I discovered about three weeks ago called TennisTalk.com, and he's on the line with me on the Skype line. Please welcome Mr. Ricky Diamond to This Week in Tennis. Ricky, how are you today, man? Doing well, Phil. Thanks a lot for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, man, I've been looking forward to this, too, all week, and I appreciate your flexibility. But then you're a sports writer, so you're used to it, right? Exactly. Oh, boy. I learned a lot in the last three years of doing radio, and I'll tell you the thing I've learned most is if you're not flexible, you never get the interview. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. you, you got to be flexible, and, and I am. <laughs> yeah, I hear you there. Now, can you do us a favor and tell us a little bit about yourself for those who have been living under a rock, who don't know who you are? 
Right. Um, I'm Ricky Diamond. Uh, I live in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, I'm a sports writer. Tennis is my specialty, uh, as you can probably figure out. But um, I cover a bunch of local sports in Atlanta as well, uh, ranging from high schools to college to the Falcons and the Hawks and all that good stuff. Um, but uh, but uh, tennis is definitely my specialty. As Phil said, I write for TennisTalk.com. Um, I have my own site called The Grandstand. Um, so, yeah, I'm pretty pretty into tennis, you would say. Yes, you are. And you are living in the tennis capital of the United States. It's not Florida, folks, and it's not California. And I know you think it might be New York, but it's not. Can you tell us a little bit about how big tennis is in Atlanta? Tennis is, is pretty huge in Atlanta, uh, especially in terms of the numbers of people playing. Um, I'm not sure exactly what those are, but I'm pretty confident that it's the most uh, in the United States certainly percentage-wise. Um, we have a huge league <clears throat> called Alta that pretty much everybody plays uh, from great players to beginners, all kinds of levels. Um, I mean, there are, <clears throat> there are teams all over the city, um, pretty much at every tennis club, of which there are many. Um, and then obviously USTA is, here, huge, is huge here as well. Um, Finally, we got, you know, our own pro tennis tournament, uh, the BB&T Atlanta Open it is now. Uh, I think this will be the fourth year of it this summer. Um, so so that's good to have. Uh, people don't like watching in Atlanta quite as much as they like playing, but it did get a really good turnout last year because it was right in the city. Um, so, so yeah, Atlanta's, uh, Atlanta's buzzing uh, with tennis year-round because the weather's always good. Yeah, it's a great place to play, and it is an incredible place to teach as well. And you are also a high school tennis coach, and you do private lessons, correct? Yep, that's correct. Uh, I coach high school at the Westminster Schools right in Atlanta. Um, we've, we have a pretty good program. Uh, the boys pretty much always win the state championship. The girls usually get to the final before they lose. Um, so that's good. And, and yeah, I teach some privates as well. So I'm writing about tennis lap, but I'm also on the tennis court of Fairmount as well. Yeah, you're a busy fellow then, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, how did you get into uh, tennis writing and sports writing? Before we get into your site, how, how did you make your break? How did you get your break? Um, well, I just, uh, I, I did a lot of writing in college. Um, I was a history major, so that got me writing a bunch. Um, wrote for the school newspaper, covering all kinds of sports at college. Um, and then I just, I, I knew a few people in Atlanta, um, and got connected to a local paper here. Um, so I, you know, I've, I've done that for a while. And then with tennis talk, um, I just, I just kind of, I, I just heard they were looking for writers. It was a new site back in 2008. Um, and they were looking for writers and I sent in, I covered, I guess the first tournament of 2008, just as a kind of trial period. And that worked out well, and I've been writing for them ever since. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. Now, Tennis Talk is not your site then, correct? Correct. Tennis Talk is a site uh, that I write for. Um, I think we have three American writers, um, or three English writers, I guess. We, the, ver the website's also in Spanish and, uh, and a couple other languages. Um, but yeah, there's three of us writing for the English version of Tennis Talk, and uh it's going pretty well. We, you know, we just cover all the matches on a daily basis, cover all the tournaments. Um, so yeah, good stuff. Yes, it is. It's a great website and I definitely recommend it highly. There'll be a link to that in the show notes. There'll also be a link on the page where the WordPress site is, where you can find the iTunes feed. There'll also be a link to tennistalk.com on the philnasons.com media website. You'll be able to find him anywhere you look as far as Phil Nason's media is concerned. Now, do you have this very interesting little bit? And being in radio, we do bits all the time. But you have this Facebook bit you do. You want to tell us how that came to be? Right. Um, well, yeah, that, that's through my own website, um, which I link from Tennis Talk. Uh, it's, it's called The Grandstand. Uh, 10grand.com, like Tennis Grandstand. Uh, T-E-N-N-G-R-A-N-D.com. Um, but I don't know if you've seen during the NFL season, there were these uh, Facebook chats like between the quarterbacks 
uh, like Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady and all those guys. I, I don't even know who does them, but I, I ran into those um, and, and read some of those and thought they were hilarious. And I, you know, I've realized that, you know, no one had ever done that for tennis, but, but that there were a lot of characters in tennis uh, that would be pretty easy and fun to do stuff like that with. Um, so I figured I would just do a tennis version um, of those Facebook chats. And I guess the first one I did was about Nadal's comeback. Um, and I posted that on my website and everyone just loved it. And so kind of kind of uh, done four or five more. Uh, not not every week, you know, because I think they would get old if I did them all the time. But I try to spread them, spread them out and <laughs> everybody gets a kick out of them. So that's why I like doing it. Yeah, those are hilarious. I got to tell you. Now, how did 10grand.com begin? How did you spin off? That's just a spin off site of your own now, right? Right. Yeah, that's correct. Um, I just, I just like, I mean, there are three writers at Tennis Talk. Um, so I usually cover like one tournament a week for Tennis Talk. Um, but I just, I just want to, I want to cover everything and have, have, you know, not only be restricted to Tennis Talk, but also just do whatever I want to do. And, um, I guess, I guess with a WordPress site, you can do more animation stuff like with GIFs and videos and more pictures. I go to a, found a get, go to a fair amount of tournaments. So I want to be able to post my pictures wherever and whenever I want. So it just gives me a little bit more freedom and, uh, and also I can, you know, bring out my humorous side with the Facebook chats that, you know, they, they go on my site better than they would at tennis stock. Um, so it just gives me a little bit more free reign. Well, those are hilarious, man. You do a good job with that. That cracked me up. When yeah. someone tweeted it to me, and I said, "You got to check this out. This is going to kill you." Yeah, and it yeah, just did. It was hilarious. I think there's four or five of them, so I, I need to send you any ones that you haven't seen. Yeah, those are funny, man. You guys yeah. got to get over there to tengrant.com and check those out because those <laughs> are hilarious. Have you heard any reaction from any of the players regarding those uh, Facebook threads? Um. Uh, let's see. I think Stakovsky, I, I use him a fair amount just because he's easy to do. Uh, I know he's seen him. Um, I think that's it. Um, obviously, John Wertheim likes him a lot. And, and Neil Harmon was in uh, the one after the Australian Open, uh, and he really enjoyed it. Um, so, well, you know, some of the big time writers know about it, but the, <laughs> most, of, most of the players, it's like I guess it's not very flattering to the players. Some some of it's funny, but a lot of it's you know inside jokes, poking fun at them. Um, they would probably like it, but you know I don't really go around promoting it to them. <laughs> well, you know what the funny thing is is when they play exhibitions, they mock each other too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, they have nothing to say to you really. <laughs> yeah. And some of these knuckleheads actually listen to this show, so yep. it's all good in the hood. We gotta like that. Anyhow. Yeah. You brought up Rafael Nadal. This yep. is the big hot-button topic, and if you heard our show last week, we talked about his return. What do you think about this entire deal with him? He uh, pulled out of the doubles, but he's still in the singles in Brazil now, and he's uh, trying to do his best. He didn't win the tournament last week. What do you see with this kid? What's going on there, in your opinion? I mean, I think, first of all, I'm surprised that he entered so many tournaments right off the bat. Um, I know they're on clay, which is pretty forgiving to the knees, but I really couldn't believe that he was going to play three straight, three clay court tournaments in four weeks and play doubles at the first two as well. Um, so I, I wasn't surprised at all that he pulled out with doubles after his first match um, this week uh, with Nalbandian because I just I was very surprised that he was playing to begin with. Um, as for his singles, though, which which is what everyone cares about. I, I was pretty impressed last week. Um, I, I had him losing in the final, which is what ended up happening. I mean, when the week started, I picked him to lose in the final, certainly not to Zabios. Um, I had Monica winning the thing, which didn't work out well. But, um, I mean, Nadal was good. He, what I liked early in the week is that he was improving from match to match. Like, I mean, he destroyed Chardy, looked really good, moved a lot better than he did in his first match. Um, took care of him and O'Traver, who was playing really well. So going into the final, I was, you know, I, I had Nadal winning in easy straight sets against Zabias. Um, granted, a, a lot of the reason why Nadal lost was Zabias played the match of his life, just completely on fire. Um, but Nadal, def his level definitely came down a bit. I guess it's somewhat understandable because 
that's four matches in either either four matches in four days or four matches in five days, um, which is a lot. I still I still thought he would improve from match to match and keep that going through the final, but I guess he just didn't have enough left in the tank. Um, and then he got a few days off before this week, and uh, he looked he looked good yesterday beating Souza. So I've got him winning this tournament just because I think it helps. I think it helps having a tournament under his belt. Um, so, you know, he's getting more comfortable out there as long as the knee holds up, it's certainly nowhere near a hundred percent, but if it, if it holds up close to a hundred percent, he can, I think he should be able to win a tournament, uh, with nobody else in the top 10. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're probably right. You know, the thing is what surprised me most, I guess, is not so much that he entered these tournaments because he can always withdraw, but right. because he's also entered in doubles. Now, this tournament here in Brazil this week, he pulled out of the doubles. And, of course, we have a lot of people speculating that he's hurt again. And he probably removed all doubt that he's probably not But when he destroyed that kid yesterday. But what do you think about him playing doubles, too? What is up with that? Because I don't think he really needs that many matches, does he? Right. No, I... I, I think it's too many matches. Um, obviously, Monaco and now Bandian are, are two of his best friends on tour. Certainly his two best friends that aren't Spanish. Um, and I think they also have his same agent, uh, if that's correct. Um, so I guess he was kind of doing a favor to them and just also having fun. Um, doubles, you don't work too hard. I guess it's. I guess if, if you have an off day from singles, doubles is kind of just like a practice. Um, the Williams sisters have talked about that a lot. Um, but you know, he was, he also had singles and doubles on the same day a few times last week, which is, which is overdoing it when you haven't played tennis in seven months. So, I mean, I, I guess it was just, you know, he wanted to have a little bit of fun, do a favor to Monica and now Bandy and, uh, but, but yeah, doubles, doubles in two straight weeks along with singles when you haven't played in seven months. I mean, that's a little bit out of control. Yeah. I happen to agree with you, but he knows better. Um, his handlers certainly have kept him out of the game a long time. Now, you said it, if he doesn't have to run into anyone in the top 10, he should win, be able to win a tournament. Is that your prognostication for long term or is this just a short term idea of yours? What do you think is the future, at least in 2013, if Nadal plays the way he is now? Where do you see him uh, fitting in this year? Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty confident for Nadal's chances. Uh, I'm pretty sure I haven't, I think I haven't finishing at number five. I did some preseason predictions, um, finishing at number five and winning the French open, um, which, which I'm going to stick with. I mean, you know, not, nothing I've seen the first two weeks has uh, deterred me from that notion. I mean, clearly he's not anywhere near a hundred percent. And I think, I think he can be 100% for the French open. And if he is, uh, he, I, I believe he's still a slight favorite over Djokovic. Very slight. It's about a 50-50. Um, but, but I would still give him the edge at the French if 100%. And as we all know, that's a pretty huge if right now. Um, as far as, as his hard court prospects go, uh, I'm not very confident. Um, uh, you know, when I say, you know, this week he can win the tournament because he's not, his competition's not that great. Nobody in the top 10. I think if he runs into anyone in the top 10 or, you know, anyone with a big, big game, you know, that gives him trouble, um, uh, you know, like for example, Russell, not Russell, but, you know, guys like that who can hit it big. Um, I would think, I think we'll give him serious trouble on hard courts, especially like in Indian Wells in Miami, because he hasn't played on a hard court uh, since, what was his last hard court tournament? I guess Miami of last year. Um, so... So yeah, hard courts might might not go so well for him. I mean, maybe by the U.S. Open, he'll be close to the close enough to the old Rafa Nadal that you know he can do quarters or semis. But uh, I think his days of winning anything other than the French uh, are probably gone. I guess he'll have a minor chance at Wimbledon. Uh, I think he'll do okay. I mean, he should coast into the World Tour Finals this year as long as he stays healthy. Um, but cer- certainly not more than one slam, one slam at most. That's a pretty good call. You know, I have the, I'm have i over the opinion that he won't even play uh, Indian Wells in Miami. 
Oh, well, yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, I should have mentioned that. I definitely don't think he's playing both. I would assume he, he would play, if he had to pick one, he'll play Indian Wells um, and then pull out of Miami. So, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely with you on that. I think, I think he'll play Indian Wells and then he'll, uh, he'll give Miami the boot. Yeah, I think so. And then he'll probably play a couple of clay court events, play, for, mm-hmm. play Roland Garros, yeah. maybe play Queens because he likes to play rare. Yeah. Probably play Wimbledon, and then after that, you won't see him again until perhaps Toronto. Yeah, Toronto, and and maybe not Cincinnati. You know, maybe one of one of the two between Toronto and Cincinnati, like one of the two between Indian Wells and Miami. Um, and then, yeah, Clay Court. I would probably say if he's smart, probably um, Monte Carlo in Rome, not Barcelona, not Madrid. Um, I think Monte Carlo and Rome would be <clears throat> pretty ideal preparation for a French. Yeah, for him it would be because, you know, he can win the French Open falling out of bed. Right, yeah. I mean, he's still, I don't care what anyone says, uh, he's still the best clay court player I've ever seen. Oh, yeah, for sure. And yeah, I've been I mean, around five decades almost watching tennis, so yeah. I've never and even, seen anything like even, that. Even right now, like, when he's, when he's close to 100% on clay... I think he, I mean, he can beat everyone other than Djokovic with his B game. Obviously, he needs his A game to beat Djokovic, but on that surface, he can he can beat anyone with his B game, other other than Joker. When when he's close to hundred percent, certainly not right now. He he has to play his very best to beat everyone right now. Yeah, that's the whole thing. If this is his best, oh boy, this could be interesting. But well, let me ask you something, Ricky. Uh, when we talk about Rafael Nadal, and we're Basically, we're speculating. We know what he says he wants to play, but we don't know right. for sure because no one does. You know, with an injury such as his, yep. you never know. Is it how good is it for the game? Even his limited appearances is it still is he still great for the game of tennis? Oh, I I think he's close to essential for the game. Um, I mean, obviously the you know the Federer Nadal rivalry is not like it once was back in you know oh eight and oh nine. Um, you know, because they almost never play each other anymore. But those two guys, they turn the meter like nobody else. Um, I mean, even Djokovic really isn't even even on par uh, with Nadal and Federer just in terms of um, fan base. I mean, just go to their Facebook pages. Like Nadal and Federer have 15 million. I don't know if anyone else even has a million. Um, and I mean, you've seen the turnout in South America of those those tournaments. I hate to say it, they're basically worthless when Nadal doesn't play, um, and now and now they're 250 points and they're they're the biggest things going. Um, so yeah, I mean having Nadal there's huge, and and especially for the Grand Slams. Um, I mean, all due respect to Ferrer, like I respect him more than almost anyone on tour, just what he's done with his career um, and what he's had to work with, with, which is not as much talent as a lot of other guys, but. Like when we're seeing Djokovic versus Ferrer in the semis, and and Murray and Federer on the other half, when we could be seeing Nadal versus Joker, um, you know it's kind of, it's kind of tough to accept. Um, I mean, can, can you imagine if we have a Grand Slam semifinal of of Djokovic, Murray, Nadal, and Federer instead of instead of like Ferrer or you know whoever else is going to make it? Um, that would be crazy. I mean, the the hype for that. Uh, especially since we haven't seen it since, I guess, I guess did they all make it to the French last year. Um, I can't remember, but I, mean, I think they did. Yeah, it. yeah, but we haven't seen a Big Four semifinal in a while, so I mean that w- that would be huge for tennis. I happen to agree with you. It would be huge. The thing is, you know what? And, if, and here's the other thing too, and a lot of people may not understand, is this may never happen again. This being those four kids all in the same semifinal. Because yep. I don't know what Roger Federer is going to do, and he doesn't uh, clue me in. I mean, he uh, didn't take my advice and retire two years ago when he was in a slump. <laughs> thank goodness. I had to call. I had to call and apologize, man, because I was really hard. Because I didn't want to see this kid go away looking like right. a bum, you know. Because at, at yeah. the end of that year, he was looking really dodgy. Right. Well, you. I mean, you're not alone. I think. I think a lot of people were calling for that. Um, but yeah, I mean, Federer has gotten back in shape, so I, I, he he says he's going through Rio, and I, there's no reason not to believe him the way he's been looking recently. That's a fact, but 
when I think of the tennis now and the state of men's tennis, and we're going to get into what you think about it, the ATP this year and the WTA, but Nadal and Federer, like you said, they're, they're essential right now for the continued success of the tour because honestly, and I know that probably this is not going to be very popular, but the tour can live without a Djokovic and it can live without a Murray, but it's not yeah. going to survive very well without a Nadal or a Federer because the quality of who they are off the court transcends right. what they do. I mean, I caught these other two kids act from the time they were juniors. So I know all about these two little fellas. But the yeah. other two guys, especially Nadal, you walk into a restaurant and you'll see five or six people bothering their table for autographs. And what do you see? Smiles from Nadal, smiles from Uncle Tony. Take care of business. Thank you very much. Now they pick up their fork and they go back to work. You know what I mean? You, right, don't, yeah. you won't ever get near a Novak Djokovic or a Andy Murray like that. Right. Yeah, I, I, I completely completely agree with you. Um, I mean, Nadal, Nadal and Federer, are, they're kind of like the Beatles. I mean, everywhere they go, that's just how big they are. And not, and not just among, like, hardcore tennis circles. I mean, everyone knows who these guys are, even casual sports fans who, who don't even like tennis. Whereas, you know, Djokovic, he, he kinda had, he, he's kind of like the Beatles, you know, at tennis tournaments. He'll get mobbed everywhere he goes. But... But outside of tennis, you know, he's not, I wouldn't call Djokovic a huge sports star. I mean, Nadal and Federer are huge sports stars, but those are the only two that tennis has. You know, it's funny that you say that because uh, Djokovic was here in Corfu last year, right after Wimbledon for two weeks. And he had no problem walking through the streets. In fact, I ran into him on my birthday at a club. <laughs> and because uh, I've known him since he was a little kid, it was a different issue. But he knew who I was. Well, I asked, how are you? Whatever. But people didn't even realize who that was. The people I were with are going, who is this guy? And I said, oh, that's yeah. the number one tennis player in the world. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Why do you call you an old man? Because uh, I am. <laughs> but needless <laughs> to say, you know something, this is a great start. What we have to do, Ricky, is we're going to take a break. We're going to play a little tune from Chicago called Chasing the Wind. And when we return, we're going to get Ricky's opinion on this hot button topic of doping in tennis. And then we're going to kick it a little bit about the ATP and WTA tours and get his thoughts on what he sees thus far in this young professional tennis season of 2013. And we'll be right back. You're listening to This Week in Tennis exclusively on Max Sports Channels. Stitcher Smart Radio is an award-winning, free mobile application that lets you listen to your favorite shows and discover the best of news, entertainment, and sports on demand. Now you don't even need a Wi-Fi or a cell connection to listen to shows like The Phil Nation Show. Never miss another show. It's real simple. Just go to Stitcher.com and download the free app today. And never miss another Phil Nason Show. Been dreaming of that Greek vacation? Well, if you have, then you might want to check out the folks at the Oridi Grand Hotel, located in beautiful Corfu, Greece. Come experience world-class cuisine, as well as the hospitality that Greece is legendary for at the Oridi Grand Hotel. You can find them at oridihotel.com or email them at reservations at oridihotel.com. For you, the listeners of This Week in Tennis, Audible.com is offering you a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I'd personally like to recommend Tim Galloway's book, The Inner Game of Tennis. And you can get this book or any other of over 100,000 titles all for free simply by trying Audible.com. To download your free audiobook today, please go to audibletrial.com slash flash tennis. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash flash tennis 
and get your free audiobook today. The Phil Mason Show is a daily one-hour program featuring hard-hitting commentary on a variety of topics. From the world of sports, entertainment, and pop culture, The Phil Mason Show covers it all. For music, entertainment, and more, please check us out at philmasons.com. Hi, this is Phil Masons, the host of The Phil Mason Show. You can listen to us each and every day, Monday through Friday at 10 p.m. Eastern on the Superstation Talk. That's right. We are here each and every day and proud to be here at 10 p.m. Eastern on TalkSuperstation.com. And while you're over, check out the other great shows The Diamond Joe presents each and every day. That's Monday through Friday, The Phil Mason Show, 10 p.m. Eastern on TalkSuperstation.com. Hi, this is Phil Mason's from The Phil Mason Show and This Week in Tennis. When I'm looking for sports information, my first stop, as well as yours should be, sports-kings.com. Great information, scores, highlights, and exceptional commentary. You can find it all there at sports-kings.com.
welcome back. That was Chicago and Chasing the Wind. And we are here with TennisTalk.com and 10Grand.com's freelance sports writer extraordinaire, Mr. Ricky Diamond. Ricky, I did an interview with a gentleman. I don't know if you probably are old enough to remember him, but his name is Richard Ings. Yeah. He's a tennis yeah. umpire or a former yeah. tennis umpire. He was the head of the Australian Sports Anti-Doping Association. He was responsible for catching Wayne Odesnik or Denzik. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, yeah, anyway, he said that he agrees with me on this, that it's going to be almost nearly impossible to catch a top player in the ATP or WTA Tour using performance-enhancing drugs. Now, what I wanted to ask you is this. How prevalent do you think, and now you're around quite a bit, you talk to a lot of people, how prevalent is doping in tennis these days, you think? Um, I mean, I, I don't know if I want to put a, like a percentage on it, um, but I mean, it's... I mean, it has to be a problem. Um, I mean, just the nature of sports. Uh, we're, we're in the doping era, I guess. Um, I mean, I, I guess technically the steroid era is supposedly over in baseball, but it's, it'll never really be over. Um, I mean, I, 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 think, I, think, I think there's a lot of doping going on. I mean, it's hard to say otherwise. We, we'd, like, we'd like to think that everyone is innocent until proven guilty, but... Um, but I mean, that's just not the case in this current era. Um, I mean, tennis is, I think, maybe the most physically demanding sport there is. I mean, maybe other than like the Tour de France, but we all know that that's, you know, all that is is doping. Every single person who wins it is not clean, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, other than like rigorous mountain cycling, I think tennis is the most physically demanding sport there is. I mean, soccer. Soccer, you're running all over the uh, field, you know, the entire time, but you've got 11 guys. Tennis is just you for, in a grand slam, sometimes five straight hours uh, when you only have 25 seconds in between points. So, I mean, tennis is unbelievably demanding. And just if you think about it, I mean, doping is going to happen. People... People are going to need the edge, and they think that other people are getting the edge, and so they're going to do it. Um, so, I mean, it, it's, it's definitely a problem, and and there has to, there there just has to be more testing to to end however big the problem is. I'm not sure how big it is, but you know, however small it is, just a little bit is too much. Um, so yeah, some something more rigorous testing has has got to be done. Well, they do test, but the thing is, is this, and, and I think that uh, I hit the nail on the head, according to Richard Ains. The problem that you're going to face in the tennis world is it's such an individual sport. It's not a team sport, like yeah, but, cycling, for example, where 13 people watch Lance Armstrong dope because they're all working together. Yeah. You're never going to see two top players even dress in the same dressing room. Yeah. They're going to do things. You're never, you're never going to see, for example, unless it's a gig by Nike or someone, you're not going to see two guys in the same hotel room ever, not top players. They barely speak to each other. You know, that's the nature of the beast. Right. And in order for someone to get caught, you're going to, because these kids are also, don't forget, these kids are filthy rich. Yeah. And... The drug always outruns the test. Every time there's a test, there's always a new drug. Right. And you have to know what you're testing for. Now, the other way to catch them would be to open up an amnesty or a program where these guys can rat each other out. Because trust me, they know what each other are doing, but they have to see it to catch them. And that's the difficult part. Right. Mm -hmm. But you know what you do see, though? more often now are the smaller, lesser-known players, like this young lady from Czechoslovakia, the Czech right. Republic. Yeah. She just got caught. Now, the eighth or the ITF believed her excuse that it came from a supplement, a nutritional supplement, which is yeah. entirely possible, but they still suspended her. But now, when you say you want to see more testing done, are you talking about on-site or off-site? Uh 
both. Uh, I mean, I, I don't think there's enough of either. Uh, I mean, it's tennis. Tennis is a year-round sport, um, more more so than any other sport in the entire world. I feel like, except maybe soccer again. Um, so yeah, I mean, on site, off site. Um, I mean, just just ask the players. Um, you know, I don't know. You know, I don't know if we can take them at face value, but you know, most of the top guys say they really want more testing. Um, uh, you know, a lot of them talk about Lance Armstrong. How if something like that ever happened in tennis, it would it would ruin the sport just as it's ruined cycling. Um, so you know, guys like Djokovic and Murray recently, you know, they talked about how they they want more testing on site, off site, everywhere, and I I agree with them. Um, so yeah, it's just I I'm not I'm not sure what like how frequent testing is, but like I think last year some guys only got tested like three or four times, um, which which just isn't enough. I mean, you're, you're never gonna catch them. You, you might not catch them no, no matter how often you do it, but certainly not if it's that that infrequent. Yeah, you're right. You know, the thing is, is a kid like Djokovic and a kid like Murray can say these things out loud because, quite frankly, you'll never catch them anyway, and they know that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which is, you know, which is why I said, you know, I don't know if we can take them, take their word for face value, but but uh, but the higher up should at least listen in terms of in terms of uh, the amount of testing going on. Absolutely. And, you know, the thing is, is back in 1997, Andre Agassi tested positive for crystal methamphetamine. And right. he lied his way out. Now, you have to also wonder how many times that occurs. And you know what? You never know because don't we have to also be mindful that this is a star-driven sport. Right. And it's not going to – the tennis world is not going to fly. And no offense, but Thomas Burditch and David Farrar are not going to carry a sport of tennis anywhere except to wherever they can carry it, which ain't far. Right. Yeah. So it's tough, but they do test. They do test them. They the problem is is they don't test them at the junior level, and that's where they yeah. should. Now they do it at the Grand Slams, I believe, but yeah. we get a list because I'm an ITF Raider, and we and plus I have kids that play in ITF tournaments, and yeah. we get a list of the banned substances every year. But crying out loud, there's a million of them on there, and it's yeah. just you know what you can eat a candy bar and get busted with something. I mean, that's yeah. how strict it is. And you think more people aren't. But the problem is, too, with drug testing is you also have these uh, exemptions, these TUIs that allow these kids, these young people who have injuries to be prescribed things that contain illegal substances and they get away with it, too. So it's a very difficult and tricky thing. Maybe they'll listen. Maybe they won't. But yeah. I think it has to be done at the grassroots level, at the junior level. That's right. where you nip these things in the bud. You don't get to the top guys because you're not going to an individual sport. Yeah. But well, that's, got, I think, what they need to do. Yeah, you got to start the problem before it becomes a problem, if that's possible. But um, going back to Agassi, like what Agassi did, I feel like, was performance detracting. So... I don't understand why guys like Sergi Bruguera like demanded to demanded to have Agassi's gold medal from the 1996 Olympics. Like nothing Agassi did, I feel like enhanced his performance. Don't you think? Well, I can tell you this: in 1996, Andre was clean. I, I lived in Las Vegas for many, many years. But what I will say is, that the on the flip side, in 1997, I watched him lose a final of a challenger in Las Vegas. And he lost to a kid named Christian Vinnick from Germany. Have you ever heard of Christian Vinnick out there, folks? <laughs> I rest my case. But crystal meth will actually do wonders for you. It's, it's, very, it's a high-level stimulant. If you read his book, I've never done that drug. I've done cocaine back in the old days. I tried it. And it, it's, it, that'll enhance your performance, too. But uh, Andre said he cleaned his entire house twice in four hours. Yeah. And he had a big house, man. But it's a strange thing, these pads, and we've got to move on here, dude. And we could talk about doping in tennis and what we want to, but the powers that be have to decide. And I don't think they're going to do anything about it, man. Yeah. But, but needless to say, the ATP and WTA Tour 
on the ATP tour, have you seen any what surprised you? What's what's making you uh, happy to be a fan and be a part of our great sport? Right now, I would say, even though even though the sports obviously is still dominated by um, Nadal and the Big Four and Federer and Djokovic and Murray, and hope you know hopefully those four guys will go on for four or five more years. But um, but but the next wave, uh, I feel like is actually looking pretty good. Guys like Raonic, uh, Dimitrov, Bernard Tomic. Uh, you know, I guess I guess not many people like Tomic or or they don't want to admit that they like him but he's actually a, a pretty a pretty quirky customer um who's at least gonna attract people to the game I feel like just with not only his game which I happen to like but you know also his pretty outrageous comments um he'll, he'll always have something to say and a lot of it's controversial but you know Tomic is actually playing well too now so is Dimitrov uh he got his first final in Brisbane uh, he's into the Rotterdam semifinals. Rotterdam's a 500 event, so getting to the semis is uh, is a pretty pretty impressive feat for however old Dimitrov is. I guess he's 20 or 21 now. Um, and then obviously Raonic, uh, I picked him to get to the World Tour finals as my number eight guy this year, and I guess he's he hasn't really taken off entirely in uh, 2013, but uh, you know he did okay in Australia and. Um, I guess he looked good yesterday in San Jose. He's got such a such a big game. Um, he moves well for a big guy, and when you can move that well with that kind of serve, um, you're going to go places. Uh, and then, of course, there's Janowitz, who you know people have kind of jumped on his bandwagon. I think a little bit too prematurely because he's only had one really good tournament, the Paris Final. Um, he's had another decent tournament, the Wimbledon third round. So I think you know that hype is a little bit too premature, but he's he's at least got some potential and. Uh, a pretty fiery personality, as we saw in Australia. So there's a bunch of good young guys um, who I think not only have game, but also the personality to uh, bring the fan base. Um, so, yeah, that, that's what I've liked so far in 2013. Those are excellent choices. I'm not a fan of Bernie Tomic. I think he's going to take a tumble. He's a train wreck. But uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, but he is. It's obvious to see. He needs I mean, some direction. He's, I mean, he's definitely a head case and – I mean, he'll get into trouble off the court, both with with his mouth and with his driving and naked wrestling and all that stuff. But, I mean, I think he does have a good kind of deceptive game. Um, you know, he you know he hits a lot of dinky, dinky stuff that doesn't hit the ball as hard as he can um, when he wants to. I feel like he can really blast his forehand and his serve. I just, I just don't think he wants to a bunch. Uh, but, yeah, obviously... <laughs> Obviously, the uh, opinions on Tomic, both on the court and off, are going to vary wildly, both now and probably throughout his entire career. You're absolutely right. If he lasts that long, I don't think he's going to last at the rate he's going. And then I I like uh, Rayanich a lot. I think he's going to be in the top five before, not for long, if he doesn't, you know, lose it. And I love Jersey Jersey Janowitz, man, because he is a (laughs) broadcaster's dream, dude. Yeah. What a name. (laughs) Jersey Janowitz. If he could ever crack in the top four or five, this kid's going to make more money off the court than Agassi with that name. Yeah, I mean, he's he's definitely got the talent to do so because obviously his serve is humongous. He moves pretty well for a six, what is he, six, seven? Um, And he's got those outrageous drop shots that we saw in Paris. Uh, I mean, I've never seen a big guy hit drop shots that well. If Isner could hit drop shots like that, he'd be top ten. Milos Michir, the the big cat, he used to be <laughs> able to do that a little bit. But uh, now we have a couple more minutes, Ricky. What are you seeing on the women's side of things? What What do you like? What do you don't? And then we'll just wrap it up from there. Uh, well, obviously, if if you follow me on Twitter or anything, you you know that I'm not a huge. Uh, fan of the women's game. Uh, okay, that's cool because I'm not either. We don't really talk about them that much here. Uh, I mean, we, <laughs> I mean, yeah, they're they're at least worth talking about, though. I mean, they, I, I like Azarenka. I think she's a good character. Um, uh, you know, controversial too. Not exactly like Tomich, but she'll speak her mind. Doesn't care what anyone else thinks. Um, I mean, she's dating Red Foo. That says enough. Um, you know, she, she's got a lot of talent. Um, I'd much rather have her at number one than, you know, a trade-off between Wozniacki and uh, Yankovic and Safina and all those people, which is 
what we had to deal with in one like 2010 and 2011. I mean, now we at least have really, really talented players at the top of the women's game. Um, we still have Serena. I think when she feels like playing well, she's obviously the best player in the sport. Um, you know, there are also, there are some up and coming Americans, uh, which I like. I really like Madison Keys. Uh, I like Sloane Stevens, obviously, uh, Australian Open semifinalist. Um, so yeah, I mean, there there is stuff to like in the women's game. Um, I just, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of push pushing rallies. I mean, let's admit it. That's that's just what happens um, when you put Wozniacki against Yankovic or I don't know the Melanie Dan's of the world. Obviously, Dan's falling off the map, but just a lot of people have her playing style. Um, but yeah, I like you know when the Williams sisters get on the court. I like seeing them slug it out. Um, so there, I mean, there are some, there's some, there's some stuff to work with on the women's game, um, but I don't, you know, I don't think it's, it's not at an all-time high. Let's just say that. You're absolutely correct. We're not that hard on them here, but Caroline Wozniacki took a beating on this show more than once. Yeah. I agree with you. You know what? And Serena Williams has a very good opportunity to be number one at the end of this week. Oh yeah, she has to win one more match. And you know something? I don't mind that either because she's already been there and done that and has the T-shirts to prove it. If she's earned it, she's earned it. She's not a Daenerys Safina or right. a Caroline Wozniacki or a Jankovic or whoever. I'll tell you what, Ricky. Great stuff, man. I can't wait to have you back on again. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. That was a lot of fun. Uh, I appreciate it. And you can find Ricky over at TennisTalk.com or at 10Grand, that's T-E-N, Grand.com. What's your Twitter handle? Uh, RD under slash tennis talk. All right. And that's going to wrap it up. You get over there and follow him. I'm going to do so today, in fact, or tomorrow. But, folks, that's going to wrap it up for today's, or this week's, I should say, This Week in Tennis. We want to thank Ricky Diamond for taking the time out of his very busy day to uh, help us sort through the, the muck and the mire and talk about this great, great sport of tennis. Next week, like I said at the beginning, Dr. Ray Brown will be here to talk about his lawsuit against the USTA, and he's brought that to the International Olympic Committee. It's going to be a riveting hour next week. Until then, you all take care of yourselves, and most importantly, enjoy the tennis.